Our scripture reading comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, our text for this, morning, for this afternoon, will be the first three verses of chapter 2. But we'll read the whole first chapter again for context and to refresh our memory. First Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in his last times for you, who through him do believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, 
and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This far, a scripture reading for this afternoon. And dear congregation, growing is a natural part of our life. And if you only visit your grandparents once a year or so, and you bring the children, and they might say, oh boy, you've grown. Or employers who have an apprentice working for them, and they look back on the past year, and they, say, they think, well, he really has grown in his, in his knowledge and his, in his abilities. And so why is it that they grow? Well, there's a natural hunger in the body to, to eat food. Or there's a natural desire to learn, to acquire more knowledge, to, to advance and to grow. It's, it's a sign of life. It's a sign of health. Jesus himself, we can read, as a young boy, he grew in stature, in wisdom, and in favor with God and man. And so growing is necessary also for Christians in a Christ, Christian life. And if there's no growth, we have to ask, well, is there life? Or is it very sick and weak? Peter has been calling us in these past weeks, as we looked at chapter 1, he's been calling us to to holiness, to be holy as God is holy, to reverence, to fear God, and to love with a fervent love for one another. And so if He calls us to this, there also ought to be a growing in this. You don't suddenly one day become holy or become reverent or become perfect in fervent love. And so we can ask ourselves, have we in the past year, seen any spiritual growth in ourselves? Have we increased in holiness, in, in godly fear, in, in fervent love toward one another? Have we grown spiritually? Is there life? Is there, is there hunger? Do we know more of Christ? Do we desire to know more of Christ and His Word? Now, that's what we want to consider this afternoon under the theme of growing Christians. And our text will be verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2. And so maybe, again, you have the question, well, you asked, are we growing, but how do we know? How do we know if we're really growing spiritually? It's hard to measure. Maybe if you ask a different question, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Because our first thought here is, as Peter says in verse 2, desire the pure milk of the Word. It's our first thought. Desire the pure milk of the Word. And he, he qualifies this, you can say under point one, point A, he says, as newborn babes. He starts off the verse, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word. Everyone with children knows that when a child goes through a growth spurt, they need to eat. They eat more and more. It seems like they're never full. They're always hungry. And so, hunger is, is an important element, a sign of growing in life. 
And so Peter here, he says, desired a pure milk of the Word to hunger after the Word of God, just like a newborn babe hungers for milk. And so how, and we need to think about how do, how do newborn babies desire milk? Well, when the babies are born, there's really only one thing on their mind, isn't it? It's food. Give me food. It's instinctive in them. They need food. As soon as a baby is born, it begins to look for milk. It's really astounding that within minutes of being born, this baby is looking for food. It's instinctive. They need food immediately. And so it is with a newborn soul. There's an instinct. It needs food. It will instinctively desire the pure milk of the Word of God. There's a hunger, there's a yearning that cannot be satisfied with anything else than what is created for it, and the soul will cry and long and thirst for the living waters. Or as we sang, as the heart thirsts for its living streams of water, so my soul thirsts for Thee, O God. But it's also persistent, isn't it? A baby, when it becomes hungry, it starts to cry a little. And if you leave it, it cries more. If you leave it, it cries more. So it's so loud and until it receives what it needs. <clears throat> Nothing can satisfy them except that milk. And so with the hungry soul as well, if it, it starts to look, it doesn't stop looking until it finds what it needs. It needs that spiritual food. And it's regular. Babies need regular uh, feedings, especially premature babies. Mothers who have babies, or especially premature babies, knows the rigor of the schedule. They need an exact measurement of milk every three hours, not too much, not too little, day and night. And so it is for the soul, especially at the beginning. It needs regular feeding. You can think of our children. They need regular Bible teaching. Not too much. You can't take in too much. Not irregular, not too scattered, but a little dose every time. Just like we need mealtime three times a day. We need regular feeding. So do children. We also need regular doses of God's Word. And that's a perfect time to instruct our children at the meal. That's why the, the church, in the church history, the meals are often used for family devotions at the time when we're together. It's, it's regular throughout the day. It's a perfect time to, to teach our children. The adults might be able to go a little longer to, be, to stretch those, those, those feedings out a little bit, but children need regularity. And everybody, regularity is, is best. And just like we never eat our food without giving thanks to God and asking Him for blessing it, the same is true for the Word of God. We should never read the Word of God. We must never open our Bibles without asking God to bless it with His Holy Spirit and to thank God for giving it to us. Because how many in this world don't have this? And there's many examples we can have of new believers. I went to seminary with one. He was telling me how he grew up in a Catholic home, and yet they weren't allowed to have a Bible. But when he was saved, he needed a Bible, and he found one, and he had to hide it in his room in the ceiling. And morning and night, he would go, he'd take it down, he'd read it, and he'd hide it again so his parents wouldn't find it. There's another old pastor I met. He lives in Scotland. And he said when he was saved... He bought himself a Bible back then, it was maybe a quarter, 25 cents, and he said for the first six months, he'd come home from work, he'd read his Bible. Every spare moment he had for the first six months of being saved, he'd just read, 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 read. He needed that, 
Word of God. Another pastor as well, Elder D.J. Ward. He came from a poor family. His parents went to church. But he would find under the pews uh, little leaflets, uh, pages fallen out of the Bible. And he'd take it, pick it up and take it home and he'd, he'd read it. He'd find a few more and he'd tape them together. And that was his Bible for many years. He'd he, he read it over and over again until the pastor's wife finally said, here's your own Bible. And he took it and he read it day in, day out. He slept with it under his pillow. He's afraid to lose it. They needed that word of God. How is it in your life? How often do you read the Bible? Desire the pure milk of the word. Reading, studying, hearing the preaching. Do we come to church? Why do we come to church? Do we come to hear a man? Or do we come to feed on the word of God? Do we come just to tolerate it and put up with it because we have to? Or are we hunger to hear what God will have to say to my soul? Is there something that the Lord has to teach me, to, to feed me? Not just checking a box of duty. I've done my duty for this week, but, but do you need the Word of God? The pure milk of the Word. What is the pure milk of the Word? And secondly, under the first thought there, it needs to be pure, unadulterated, not mixed with the world's ideas, not, not tailored to itching ears, what the people want to hear, not diluted or lacking nutrients. When you feed your baby, you want pure milk. You want pure food, nutrients. We must not dilute God's Word. We can't live on just one quote, one verse a day and, and maybe someone else's writings, but we need to read the Bible chapter by chapter. We need to make time to feed on God's Word. Christ is the Word. Christ is the bread of life. We must feed on Him by faith. And then thirdly, see under the, second, under the first point, Peter says, if indeed, in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Isn't it so when a baby tastes that food, he knows what it is and he comes back for more and more. And often when you start feeding a baby different food, their first reaction is to spit her out. What is this? But once, the, once a person has tasted of that goodness, of the Lord, of His loving kindness, of His tender mercy, of His forgiveness of sins, of His power and deliverance from sin. Don't you need that more and more? Once you, like Peter, have caught a sight of Christ's eyes looking to you with compassion and with love and with forgiveness, there's no other place in the world you want to go. He loved, we love Him because He first loved us. And then you hear of the beauties of heaven compared to the, the miseries of this world. Even though there's many beautiful things in this world, the Lord gives many blessings, and yet there, there's something so much greater about the glories of heaven. Then there's a longing for Him. There's a longing to know Christ and to be with Him. Paul uses this same word in 2 Corinthians 5. There's an earnest desiring to receive the fullness of that salvation that God gives to His people. There's a desire, longing for the new spiritual body that without sin and without weakness, without pain, without uh, frailty. And he writes, Paul writes, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal into heaven. For in this we groan, 
earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Earnestly desiring for that new glorified body and to be in the presence of the Lord. And he continues in verse 6, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We're confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So there's a desire for that word to, of what has been tasted. And, and yet it is, even if you read Pilgrim's Progress, you see, John, you see a Christian, when he starts reading that book, it, it doesn't taste very pleasant at the beginning, but it gives him a burden. And there, there can be conviction of sin. There can be, it, it can be heavy. It can be sharp to read. But, but you can't put it down because you need it. You know it speaks to your soul. You know this is what you need. And not only does it convict you of sin, but it also directs you to the way of salvation. And then you begin to see what this world, it, it might taste sweet for a moment. The world tries to feed a sweet-tasting candy, but it has no spiritual nourishment. Even though it, 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 it tastes as sweet initially, it's like when you eat too much candy, you feel sick later. So it is with this world's food. Sin might seem sweet, and yet later tastes so bitter to the soul. You begin to discern between the Word of God the milk of the Word and, of this, and the sin of this world. You need the pure milk of the Word. And then D, or fourthly, um, Peter, he says, so that you may grow, thereby the last part of verse 2. Why do we need to desire the pure milk of the Word? Well, so that you may grow, thereby. The baby needs milk to grow, even though the baby doesn't understand what is happening. It doesn't think, well, if I don't eat, I'm not going to grow. I won't be as tall as mom or dad. But it's the hunger that drives the desire for, for food. And so I ask you, is there hunger? Is there the desire for the Word of God? Is there the, a hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of Christ? For Christ said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Yes, we can have 15 Bibles in your house. Have you ever counted them? But how often do we read them? If we don't feed on the Word of God, we won't grow. We can have two services a Sunday. But if we don't come, if we don't feed. There's Bible studies. There's Sunday school. But if we don't feed in these pastures that the Lord gives, there's no growth. Babies eat because there's a hunger. Christians feed on the Word because there's a desire. But if there's no desire, there's also no growth. And if there's no hunger, ask ourselves, is there life? Or are we so sick that we've starved ourselves half to death? Are we growing Christians or are we not? Are we living Christians or are we not? Use the means, I plead with you, use the means that God has given us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, the people were still spiritual infants, not ready for the strong meat of the Word of God. He says they're being controlled by earthly standards instead of biblical truth. And Paul writes, and brethren, I cannot speak to you as unto spiritual people, but as to carnal 
as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it. And even now you're not able, for you're still carnal. Then he says this, For where there are, are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not still carnal and behaving like mere men? For once, when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are we not carnal? If you think of the babies, they don't walk like adults. Young children can't handle the responsibilities of adults. And when we see the children in our family, they fight over the smaller things. And Paul says here to these Christians, grow up. You're fighting over the smaller things. Grow up spiritually. You need the pure milk of the Word to grow. Spiritual infants still have that envy, that strife, those divisions. They're acting carnally. They're, these are the works of the flesh. They're acting like unbelievers, Paul is saying. You're carnal. And when they act this way, they're not showing any signs of growth, no signs of being saved. And so as you grow spiritually, you also grow out of these sins. And that brings us to the second point, laying aside, laying aside. That, that word means to put away old clothing, to place aside to another location. It's springtime, and the mothers take their children to their room, and they take out the boxes, they open them up, and they take out all the spring clothes that have been sitting there all winter. And they say, try this on. Now it's too small. Try this one on. Now it's too tight. Try this on. Now it's too short. It doesn't fit anymore. It's time to lay these old clothes aside because you've outgrown them. You no longer fit them. Little girls and little boys, when they grow up, their mothers like to put cute little outfits on them, but when they get older, they, they, even they themselves look at them and say, well, that, that's for little kids. I'm not a baby anymore. I've outgrown that style. And so laying aside, and figuratively, that means to stop or to get rid of. So Peter says here in verse 1, therefore, laying aside, Put away all your old ways of life, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. James 1 verse 22 also says, Lay aside all wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And Paul uses the analogy of putting off, putting off the former conduct of the old man, Remember, Peter is also speaking of the old conduct and the new conduct of holiness. Paul uses the same language. And so this is what you find when in your life God works in your heart and when you grow into grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You once wore these garments of sin, of the world, of carnality, but they no longer fit you. And you're laying them outside. You've outgrown them and you're putting them off. And maybe like us all, we have to confess how little we really grew, or it's so hard to tell if we've grown. You wonder, what's, what's hindering my spiritual growth? What's stopping us 
And you think, well, maybe I'm too busy. Or maybe because I was so sick at enough time, maybe I'm weak. Maybe I really don't know how to evangelize. It's kind of it's holding me up. I'm not gifted. Maybe I'm too poor to afford any more things to study or don't have time to go to Bible study or maybe I'm being persecuted. Well, Peter is writing to the persecuted church here. Maybe it's because of the oppressive government is restricting us. What, what, what would you put away in your life, you'd think, to increase in holiness, in godliness, in love? Well, it's none of these circumstances. None of these circumstances can hinder us from spiritual growth. In fact, God often uses them as a means to, to, to strengthen our faith, to make us hunger more for His Word and for the truth. It's not our circumstances, but it's our sin. It's our sins that hinder our spiritual growth. And Peter is saying, put these off. By the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, put them away. Get rid of it. Lay it aside. He only points out a few here. It's just a short list. If you read through the Bible, there's many, many more. But these seem specifically to target what he, he said in a few verses before, specifically opposed to growing in love. Peter called us in verse 22 to love one another fervently. And these sins specifically seem to contradict love for one another. And so he says, lay aside all malice. The malice is a form of hatred. It's the opposite of love. Malice is actively thinking evil, planning to harm someone else. If you think of the persecuted Christians that Peter is writing to, you might think, well, when they're persecuted, how do we respond? You might think the only way to respond is, is by lashing back in some manner. Isn't that what Peter did when the soldiers came to capture Jesus? What did he do? He took a sword, and he swung the sword, trying to chop the head off someone, but he cut off his ear. Are we listening, children? Are we listening? Okay, do we fight back when we are persecuted? But Christ said, put away your sword. Put away your sword. Those who fight by the sword will die by the sword. Is a garment of the world. This was your size when you were younger. This is your size when you're spiritually immature, but now it no longer fits you, does it? Love fervently, seeking the best interest of others. And seeking them harm doesn't, doesn't fit you anymore. Now, this is an extreme example, but there's another pastor. He tells of a time when he went down, walking on the street, he was attacked by two thieves, and they were stabbing him. He said all he could do was plead for their life. He said, you don't know Christ. Christ has come to the world, and he shared the gospel with them as they were attacking him, as they were stabbing him, and as he passed out. Love for others. No malice, no hatred in his heart. And then there's deceit. Put away deceit and guile. That's craftiness. That's skillful deception. It's the opposite of honesty and purity. In Matthew 26, it says the chief priests and the scribes and the elders assembled and he plotted to take Jesus by trickery, by deceit, to kill him. Peter thought deceit could, could save his own life as well, didn't he? 
when they asked him to you're with Christ. He thought deceit could save his life when he denied Christ, but it only brought bitter pain and anguish upon his soul. No, you don't want to wear that garment anymore. The garment of the father of lies, the devil. You no longer want to be associated with deception and, and trickery, and, but you want honesty. Honesty from the heart. You don't want to walk in secrecy, in darkness, covering up your actions. See, sometimes the pain of past sin makes us, makes us want to cover it up, to walk in darkness, to live a lie, and to, to clothe it with outward religion or something. But believers, to walk in the light, to drive out that sin. You want to walk honestly with one another, to confess your faults to God and to find forgiveness, to confess even before one another. Psalm 15 the believer speaks truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. And he swears to his own hurt and does not change. Honesty, you've outgrown deceit. Peter says, lay aside hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretending to have certain qualities or to be someone when you're not. It's one of the tools of deceit and guile. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. Even so outwardly you appear righteous, but inside you're full of hypocrisy, lawlessness. You once wore these clothes, didn't we? a well-known, respected member of the church, maybe outwardly, and yet inside, hidden sins, dead bones, no longer fits you, does it? But now, speaking the truth in love, opening our hearts with one another. You can share what you've struggled with. You can confess what you once were, but it's no longer me. But the power of God that sin is broken. Peter says, put off envy. Envy. That's that spite, that resentment against others, especially the success of others. Pilate knew that the Jews had brought Jesus to him out of envy. They hated him because he preached the truth. The people followed him. He could do such wonders. He uncovered their sin. He accused them of their sin. Peter, out of envy, argued with the other disciples who would be the greatest. Yeah, we're not exempt from it. We envy, we want to be. We don't like it when someone else excels us. There, there's that arguing, that backbiting, that stepping on others, trying to promote ourselves, and we wore these clothes, didn't we? We were envious of those more successful in business. Maybe we are envious of other families who look so prim and proper, children so well-behaved. Why do we struggle so much? Why do we have such sickness and trials? But now those garments don't fit no more, do they? You learn to be content in whatever state God has placed you. You've learned to take up the tasks faithfully that God has assigned to you. You're thankful that God has entrusted to you these children, this work this job, and we don't deserve the least. 
but our conduct, our behavior is being conformed to Christ. It's being made holy, it's being made reverent, without covetousness, being content, Hebrews says, with such things as we have, knowing that God has said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What more could you wish for? What more could you want in this world than for Christ to be with you? If we have God, we have more than we need and more than we deserve. To know that God would still be so gracious as to stay with me when we've denied Him how many times? When we've left Him for the world how many times? Walk contrary to His word how many times? But He loves His people with an everlasting love. What could I desire in this perishing world anymore? When God has given up of His word that endures forever. Oh, that hunger that desire for His Word and for God increased, doesn't it? You put away, and you desire more of Him. Laying aside all evil speaking, Peter says. Slander is what that is. When we envy others, we often resort to slander. It's one of the ways we can attack them. We try to bring them down to build ourselves up. We cut them down to make ourselves look better. But how about when the world attacks us? When the world speaks evil of Christians, calling them the most dangerous and intolerant people in the world? Because Christ says, you will be hated of all men. In Matthew 5, he says, blessed are ye when all men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He doesn't say do it back, but he says rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so by grace, through the love of God, that garment of evil speaking no longer fits you. That's too tight. It's too restrictive, isn't it? We can't esteem others better than ourselves when we, when we slander them and envy them. We cannot love them as Christ loves us when we slander them or speak back with like kind of words. And especially when speaking to other Christians, we cannot love God when we do not love the brethren for whom Christ Himself has laid down His life. Because the slander is really to shed, to try to shed the blood of those people for whom Christ Himself has shed His blood to save them and to wash them from those sins. Can we then speak evil of them? But now you need those new garments. New garments of love, walking in love. To take others by the hand, to bear their burden with them. To draw them out of darkness and out of sin. And to be with them. To pull them out of the sins in which they have fallen. Now we don't know how far they have come from. They may have traveled much further than we have. From the pit of sin on the path of God. Sometimes we look at people and wonder, how can you live like that? And yet we don't know how far they've come. Maybe they've put off so much more than we have. Love fervently. They might have made more spiritual progress and growth than ourselves. And so we need to ask the question, 
How have you grown as a Christian? Is there hunger and desire in your heart for the sincere, for the pure milk of the Word of God? And are you outgrowing and laying aside the sins, those old garments, that old self of the flesh? Amen.